Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, my website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz or at Banking Day. This week's Talking Business is brought to you by multi-award winning law firm McDonald Legal, experts in the areas of dispute resolution and commercial and property law. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, Subscribe to Talking Business from our website, leongetler.com. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number five in our series for 2023, and today's date is Friday, March the 3rd. First, I'll be talking to Dan Frecklin from Baltic about the convoluted digital ad ecosystem. And I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver about the reporting season. But now, let's talk to Dan Frecklin. Well, Dan... Tell us about uh, the convoluted digital ad system. So the well, the digital ad system is, is quite complicated. And for the for the purposes of, I think, the, the privacy debate, which is ongoing right now, the real issue is that you've got, when, it, when a single ad loads on a web page, you have dozens of requests that go out to various ecosystem members. And so, for example, you've got supply-side platforms, you've got ad exchanges, you've got demand-side platforms. And so a, a single ad request for an individual goes on through what's called real-time bidding or an auction. And that auction clears in about 10 to 50 milliseconds. So it's an amazing amount of data that's flying back and forth. But more so, uh, what's interesting beyond just the speed of the transaction is the amount of data that's evolved in the transaction. Because, because it's an auction, the party that has the most data often wins. And so there is a, a rush of, of profiling and trading of information as each member that is forwarded an inventory request from a user tries to win that bid with more information. So it, it, uh, it's a complicated ecosystem. It's programmatic, meaning that it all, it all happens in a decentralized, automated fashion. And there's no sheriff really controlling all of this, which has led to some of the abuses of privacy that we've seen around the world. How do brand marketers negotiate their way through this? So they will, the, the brand marketers, those that are engaging in the advertising, will work with their agencies and their DSPs, and, and they will place their bids so they will uh, specify how much they want to pay for a certain segment. And these segments can get really, really granular. So it's not just sort of gender and, and zip code, but you can get down to information such as, as religion, political beliefs, sexual preference, geolocation, health conditions, ethnicity, 
All of these factors can be bid upon for, for, for by brand marketers. There's a case in Canada with Tim Hortons, as a matter of fact, recently, where Tim Hortons was using location tracking to find out which of their consumers were going to Starbucks or other places to buy coffee and to use that to understand their shopping habits. Well, that that is uh, information that marketers can use through apps and through location tracking and wasn't uh, wasn't necessarily their best moment for Tim Hortons, but it wasn't illegal. That has huge implications for privacy. Yes, yes. Well, and there's there's been a series of things around the world that I would say, Leon, that have led to changing views about privacy. And my own personal experience, I had a family member with cancer and I was researching treatments. And then I started seeing all of these cartoonish cancer ads follow me around the web. Uh, and that was sort of my personal discovery of, of how data is shared and, and some of the, the overreaches. Because I've been a marketer for most of my career, and, and I've perhaps been on the wrong side of that in some, some points of that career. But concept of privacy as a human right has changed due to a series of incidents around the world from 2011, the News of the World scandal in the UK, where you may recall there's phone hacking that was going on there. Uh, the Edward Snowden incident in 2013 in the U.S., in Japan in 2014, they suffered a, a massive data breach affecting one-third of the population. The, the Equifax scandal in 2017 in the U.S., where the Chinese government was implicated, and, and just so on it, and more and more, uh, Cambridge Analytica in 2018 that was broken by the U.K. and the U.S. newspapers. And, and even in the pandemic in the past two years, the threats surface of privacy has increased with more people online and more people working from home. So that is what is what has triggered a massive global response from regulators, unlike we've seen in, in sort of regulatory uh, regimes ever. But that has huge implications for consumers' uh, relations with brand marketers. I mean, uh, consumers would be baffled and would mistrust them more, wouldn't they? Yeah, and that's what the studies are showing, that um, consumers are more concerned um, about their, their personal information. And I think one study that was done by KPMG in the U.S. found the lines had crossed last year that consumers who were concerned about the sharing of their data were more concerned about that than the concern about the breach of their data. So it used to be data breaches, and that sort of problem was the number one concern. Data sharing has has crossed that, and that's become a bigger issue as a result of a lot of these these incidents. So uh, what I'm doing is nobody else's business, basically. Yeah, well, as, as a matter of fact, Max Schrems' organization, NOYB, is none of your business, and Max Schrems and Johnny Ryan in, in Europe have been behind a lot of the, I think, lawsuits and legal action and, and studies that were revealing what they I think has been termed the, the world's largest data breach. So, so what can consumers do to get rid of data stealing brands they want nothing to do with? Huh. Well, there's technologies out there, and sometimes the technologies work. But, but as a consumer, it's it's not enough to just rely on what the web page is serving you. So, um, one thing to understand, I think, fundamentally, is that that advertising funds the open web and especially targeted ads. And furthermore, I, I talked about programmatic advertising. Ninety percent. Uh, of ads on the open web are programmatic. So consumers sort of have to realize that when they go to websites and when they're served ads, that is funding the content that they're seeing. So there's there's a bit of a value equation and a trade-off that's important to understand because I don't want to go on a rant about how the web is unfair from a privacy standpoint. It, it really is a, a fair value exchange. But as a consumer, you need to be discriminating. When you go to a website and a cookie banner pops up, if you're under GDPR uh, policies, then really pay attention to those granular choices. There are too many consumers, I think, that just hit accept all and not realizing what is being shared as a result of that. The second thing is 
to take matters into your own hands. So what, what Boltiv has found, my company has found, is that, that even when consumers take the right actions with consent management platforms, they don't always perform accurately. About 25 to 30% of the time, the action of, of rejecting cookies doesn't transmit downstream to the various ad ecosystem parties that I mentioned to you. And that's a real concern. It's almost like the placebo button in an elevator, right? You know, that, that, that button that you hit to close the door doesn't really work. Or if you're in, your, you're in New York City, the button you press to trigger the walk sign does not work for most intersections. It's what's called a placebo button. It makes people feel good about pressing it, but it really doesn't take an action. Well, there is a little bit of a concern as a consumer. If you're just clicking consent management platform buttons and you're not also taking a look at your cookies and clearing those on, on your own, uh, and you're, you're, aware, you're also aware of who you're doing business with, that it might not be enough just to trust the technologies that are out there. So uh, uh, how, are we, how aware are consumers about this? I think it's growing. The, the consumer awareness is growing as the, the various breaches that I, I told you about, various um, data leakage cases are known. I think more so the, the regulators, as they uh, publicize what what they're doing is going to create more awareness. So there's there's quite a bit of activity going on around the world, as I mentioned, including Australia. In in uh, I think in Australia, the statistics are that uh, I believe it's it's ninety percent of consumers or eighty to ninety percent of consumers believe that more data privacy um, is necessary. But but in terms of what are they aware of? I think when we see laws come into effect, for example, CPRA in California, which takes effect next year, I think in Australia. The, the Australian Privacy Act of 1988 is uh, is under reform. That that as regulatory bodies such as the the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, plus the Competition and Consumer Commission, the A Force, I think it's called uh, in Australia, the Communications and Media Authority, as these groups are um, increasingly enforcing laws and taking action, that that's going to create awareness among consumers as companies that are egregious uh, are penalized for that. Well, the issue, though, too, is that the job for regulators is never-ending because there's always these breaches that are occurring because the technology is just way ahead of regulators as a rule. Yes, and what we've seen in, in privacy regulations around the world is that they are less specific about the technologies that they're regulating. And in, in one of the early laws around email regulation, there was real specific data uh, information in U.S. law around how emails were served and how the servers were operating. Now the regulations are much more cognizant that the technologies will be different. The types of personal information will be different and the technologies will be different. But what's, what's interesting when we talk about regulations, it's really fascinating that the, the amount of privacy regulations around the world is unlike what we've seen in any regulatory situation prior to this point. Gartner predicts that 75% of the world's population will be covered under consent-based privacy law. And if you have, to, you have to go way back through history and you look at all the different sectors that are, are regulated in, in the telephone industry, it's the FCC in the US, and I believe it's the ACMA in Australia. Nuclear industries, it's the NRC in the US, and Arpanza, I think is what it is in Australia. We've got uh, electricity, the FERC in the US, AER in Australia. All of these different regulations and, and, and pharmaceuticals and, and, and airplanes and all these other areas that are, that are under the, the guise of regulation, they're, they're national in scope. And there's never been an industry that's had to change as quickly on a global basis. This is a point that Brad Smith from Microsoft made at a privacy uh, conference recently. Never has an industry had to change as quickly as what we're going through right now. Well, the issue that I've, I've put to you as someone in branding is how can consumers engage and interact with brands 
they want to see content from without having their privacy breached? Well, there are devices and platforms you can choose. So that rather famously, Apple iOS has gone out and touted how their privacy protections and their app tracking uh, toggle choices go beyond what other smartphone providers offer. So you can have, as a consumer, you can have a choice of the mobile device that you use. As a consumer, you can have a choice of the browser you use. Uh, so browsers uh, like Firefox and DuckDuckGo and Brave and others have positioned themselves as being privacy first. And so you can make choices around the, the digital platforms that you're using to interact with. Some consumers go so far as to use Frame Relay and uh, browsers such or, or systems such as Tor to anonymize themselves. That's a little bit on the extreme, but th- there are ways that you can interact and you can see the web uh, without having to declare what your identity and who you are and where you are. Well, Dan, that's all quite bewildering. <laughs> yeah, we'll be watching that quite closely. And thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Leon, for, uh, for having me on your show. And now let's talk to AMP Capital Chief Economist, Shane Oliver. Well, Shane, how do you see the reporting season so far? Well, to be honest with you, it's been a little bit disappointing. The good news is we've seen an increased number of companies reporting that profits are up on a year ago, and we've seen an increased proportion of companies saying that dividends are up on a year ago compared to what we saw in the August reporting season. But on both of those metrics, they're actually a little bit lower than normal. So, yes, we've seen a bit of an improvement, but you also got to bear in mind that the comparisons to December half 2021 are fairly easy because much of Australia was still on a lockdown through much of that half year. So overall, yes, we've seen a bit of an improvement from what we saw in August, but it's, it's, it's still below average. I guess the more concerning aspects, though, are that the number of companies surprising on the upside is less than normal. We've seen... Uh, more companies surprised on the downside. On my count, 33% of companies have surprised on the downside. That's more than normal. And we've seen only 31% of companies surprised on the upside, which is far less than normal. And we've also seen a disappointing share market reaction, just tracking uh, what companies' share prices do on the day they report their results relative to the overall market. Normally, you see a bias towards companies outperforming the market on the day they report, something like 55% outperforming, 45% underperforming. This time around, it's been pretty much the other way around for companies seeing a disappointment, disappointing reaction from shareholders. And of course, the anecdotes uh, through the reporting season have been a little bit on the soft side. You know, you've probably got half the number of, half of the retailers are saying things are okay, but then the other half are saying, well, things are slowing down, which is not normally a good sign that you've got that sort of huge mix there. And more of the big retailers seem to be alluding to a slowing in the first part of this year. So that's obviously a bit of a drag. Obviously, labour market headwinds are still there. And signs of a softening housing market clearly evident. And easing, easing supply chains, that's a good, good indication. But there is more caution on the economic outlook. And we've also seen, of course, uh, the big miners cut their dividends. That was to be expected. But uh, that, that huge surge in dividends from the Rios and the BHPs seems to be over. And, of course, uh, the banks might be getting to a point where it's about as good as it gets as credit growth slows, interest margins come under pressure, and the bad debt cycle bottoms out and starts to deteriorate. So it's, it's, it's been a little bit messy, and that partly explains one of the factors why the share market so far this month is down. Arthur, I mean, it's, it obviously makes sense uh, that retailers would be struggling because consumers are pulling back on spending with rising interest rates and inflation. 
and and the real estate market is also suffering. I would imagine it wouldn't be great for real estate agents at the moment. So I'd imagine those sectors would be reporting profits would be fairly affected. That, that's right, and they are. Yeah, obviously the real estate market has seen uh, a big fall in transactions, and of course real estate businesses depend on transactions. If you've got less transactions, in many cases at lower prices, then you don't get as much income. So that, that drag is clearly evident, and for consumers, uh, I mean, it's interesting to, to note the reaction and the commentary out of GB Hi-Fi. Back in January, it seemed to be along the lines of more consumers are still spending, yeah, things are still very strong, whereas their formal result release in February, a week or two ago, was, yeah, things are softening a little bit. And there's also been a loss of momentum uh, through the September quarter into the December quarter, and then a further slowing again into into January. Now, of course, this is not to say things are falling off a cliff and that they're horrible. Uh, it's just that they, they aren't as good as they have been and things, the momentum seems to be going against the consumer, which, as you imply, is to be expected given the cost of living pressures, given the rise in interest rates, which affects you know, a big chunk of consumers who are far more sensitive to changes in their income and far more likely to adjust their spending through time compared to, say, older Australians who don't adjust their spending through time that much. So, so that's happening. And, and I think the other thing that's happening in here is that as we went through last year, we had a reopening boost. You know, people had pent-up demand, you know, excess savings through the pandemic. They wanted to get out there and spend, revenge spending, revenge travel, all those things kicked in. That, that, that impact is starting to, to fade a little bit as people have done the travel, don't like having to pay $400 you know, to rent a car, like I did recently, a day. And then you think, well, I'm not going to do that again. And you, you sort of think, okay, well, that's out of my system. Uh, I'm going to be now looking for better bargains and lower prices. And if not, I'll, I'll settle for cheaper holidays. So, so there's a bunch of things that I think are going to start weighing on consumer. And that, that was becoming evident through the, the profit reports. Right, okay. And uh, given that we're going we're to have few interest rate rises this year, and uh, given that the RBA is saying that uh, we won't get back to the target band till of inflation until about, what, 2025, uh, we can expect this uh, lag in the public reporting season to continue for some time. Would that be right? That, that's right. We've probably got a, a way to go yet. Things will, will get a bit tougher before they get better. The Reserve Bank, uh, I, I worry they're going a little bit too far here, that inflationary pressures are starting to ease, but uh, the reality is the December quarter numbers were not very good on inflation and the Reserve Bank is feeling a need to respond to that and they're the guys who set interest rates and that's the reality. They're signalling two more hikes ahead at least. Uh, many economists out there are talking about uh, rates going up into the into the fours uh, and that is indeed is the money market expectation as well above 4%. Um, so all those things are going to be a drag for some time to come and that will weigh on economic growth and obviously on profits. Now, hopefully we avoid a recession and a hard landing, and I'm hopeful that that will be the case. You know, Chinese recovery will help uh, help the big buyers and also help national income. And CapEx business investment spending still looks fairly robust, and hopefully the Reserve Bank you know, is aware of the lags and will pull back before they go too far. But the, the risk is obvious. And in the meantime, I suspect that the next reporting season, which is six months away, will be on the soft side as well before things eventually pick up, maybe not until uh, sometime in 2024. Okay, but uh, that would probably be in the second half of 2024. Would that be right? Yeah, we've got a ways to go yet. I'm, I'm sort of optimistic that the RBA will soon 
uh, reached the peak in terms of the cash rate in the first half of this year and can go for an extended period being on hold with the possibility that the RBA may be cutting later this year, early next year, and that should enable um, an improvement in momentum or at least in expectations as we go through 2024. But, yeah, you, you may not get uh, clarity on that until the second half of 2024. And while we might get to recession, it will certainly feel like recession to players in the retail and real estate market. It, it may well feel that way, and it may already be starting to feel that way in some parts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Consumers have been very strong, but they had a lot of tailwinds behind them. You know, the low interest rates, the property boom which drives stronger wealth, obviously drives real estate transactions, the uh, the reopening, pent-up savings and so on. Th- those those tailwinds are now fading and starting and moving into a situation where we've got headwinds. And it's, it's, it's a danger to assume that just because things have been okay so far, that the Reserve Bank can keep raising interest rates with no problem. You know, the experience of the 1980s, the late 80s, tells us that uh, you've got to be careful here looking in the rearview mirror at inflation numbers, at um, consumer spending and uh, jobs data uh, may not be telling you what's going to tell you what's coming ahead. So you've got to be really vigilant here. Um, and what's coming ahead, I think, is a, is a tougher environment. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that the share market has another huge leg down, but it just means that we're going to see continued volatility this year. I, I think by the end of the year, the market will start to feel happier, but it, it did run ahead of itself going into early February, you know, with the market, I think, up 7% or so, almost getting to levels I thought it wouldn't get till to get till, to, till the end of the year. And so that means we're now going to go through a bit of a bit of a consolidation phase and a bit of volatility for, for a while to come. So it's, it's, it's going to be a, an interesting environment, but obviously um, you know, consumer and housing sectors will be at the forefront of the slowdown because that's where the vulnerability is in terms of high household debt. So we've got quite a year ahead of us. Oh, yeah, we have. I, I think it turns out it will turn out better than last year. There was a lot of negative surprises last year that no one seemed to be really anticipating. The war in Ukraine, obviously, big factor there. I've gone one year anniversary of that. The tensions with China, there's still ongoing issues with China and Iran, but. I don't know that's necessarily going to be the case that geopolitical risk will be any worse than this year than they were last year. So in theory, that should be factored in. Uh, likewise, you know, having gone through a long period of consolidation, weakness in share markets, to the low point, the Aussie share market uh, had a dip of 16%, global shares 25% thereabouts. That, that 
that means that we're probably still better place this year, particularly if central banks soon get to the top and uh, start easing up on the brakes later this year. Uh, and that should enable share markets to put in positive gains. But along the way, it's going to be a volatile ride. And that period we saw in January probably um, signaled there was a degree of complacency there. That, that complacency is now rapidly starting to come out of the market. Well, Shane, those are all sobering words. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by multi-award winning law firm McDonnell Legal experts in the areas of dispute resolution and commercial and property law. For a free consultation on your legal matter, McDonald Legal can be reached on 039070-1107 or by visiting the website www.mcdonaldlegal.com.au. So what's happening in the news? Well, Twitter's massive job cuts continued this weekend as the company cut about 10% of its remaining staff. The latest axing of about 200 jobs takes the company's headcount down to under 2,000 staffers. That's down from the 7,500 who worked for the social media platform before Elon Musk bought the company for US $44 billion. The cuts hit production managers, data scientists and engineers who worked on machine learning and site reliability, which helps keep Twitter's various features online. The monetization infrastructure team, which maintains the services through which Twitter makes money, was reduced to fewer than eight people from 30. Twitter has been losing advertisers since Musk took over. Ad revenue had been responsible for more than 90% of company revenue. Musk's plans to raise revenue directly from Twitter users by selling verification of accounts has thus far not worked as planned. Now, Australia's economy slowed 0.5% in the December quarter compared with 0.7% in the previous quarter under forecasts of 0.8% as inflation and higher interest rate cool demand data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics on Wednesday showed. Annual gross domestic product, or GDP, grew 2.7% in line with expectations. While household spending continued to rise at the end of last year, the growth rate has started to slow in the face of rising interest rates and high inflation. Now, Australian retail sales rose just 1.9% in January from December, when they died 4%. Sales of $35.1 billion were 7.5% higher than a year earlier. And Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese called on the country's big banks to boost deposit rates for savers amid concerns rate hikes are only being passed on in full for borrowers. It is completely unacceptable, Albanese said in a TV interview on Flashpoint WA broadcast on Sunday. The banks need to get their act together. Albanese said the government had communicated its concerns very loudly, and I'm doing that again now. The country's competition watchdog this month launched an inquiry into the issue, saying increases on interest rates for deposits had been smaller and less consistent than those applied to mortgages. In an attempt to quell inflation running at a three-decade high of 7.8%, the Reserve Bank of Australia has raised rates by 3.25 percentage points since May and said more hikes are likely needed. This means that people in Australia, one of the world's most heavily indebted nations, are being squeezed on two fronts. For Albanese, the challenge is trying to manage the political fallout and reassure a a nervous electorate. And Treasurer Jim Chalmers will double the tax rates paid by Australians with superannuation account balances worth more than $3 million in a move he says is about budget sustainability and equity. There's been an escalating war of words between Labor and the Coalition in the past week as the Treasurer has continued what he is calling a national conversation on tax breaks paid to fewer than 0.5% of superannuation accounts. Mr Chalmers said currently earnings from superannuation in the accumulation phase are tax at a concessional rate of up to 15%, and that this will continue for all superannuation accounts with balances below $3 million. However, 2025-26, the concessional rate tax rate applied to future earnings for balances 
above $3 million will be 30%. This is expected to apply to around 80,000 people, and they will continue to benefit from more, more generous tax breaks on earnings from $3 million below the threshold, Mr Chalmers said. And Energy Australia will bring forward $400 million of maintenance work at its Yalorn coal-fired power station in Victoria, as it attempts to wrest deteriorating profitability of the plant to contribute to a Hong Kong $5.3 billion, that's one billion Aussie, full-year loss. The heavy operating deficit for the year ended December 31st compared with a loss of Hong Kong $83 million a year earlier and came in what its Hong Kong listed parent company, CLP Group, described as unprecedented conditions, which included a suspension of the national electricity market last June. The result completes a challenging reporting period for Australia's biggest energy retailers, which are being squeezed by soaring fuel costs, plant outages and regulated tariffs. Both Energy Australia's biggest rivals, AGL Energy and Origin Energy, posted weaker than expected results for the December half, with AGL slumping to a bottom line loss of more than $1 billion. Melbourne-based Energy Australia, Australia's third biggest retailer of power and gas, said it will close down each of the four units at the lawn in turn to address the root causes of forced outages at the 1,480-megawatt generator last year. And a major supplier to Australia's biggest supermarkets has been plunged into receivership, putting 1,500 jobs at risk and threatening the delivery of food supplies. One of the country's biggest trucking companies, Scott's Refrigerated Logistics, supplies all major supermarkets, including Woolworths, Coles, IGA and Aldi, as well as Food Bank Australia. It is understood the company has engaged in high-level talks with grocery executives about its collapse. While the company's trucks will keep delivering food to supermarkets for now, Supplies could be put at risk if a rescue deal cannot be hatched. It is hoped a buyer can be found for the business, which employs 1,500 staff plus subcontractors and has 24 cold storage warehouses in all mainland states. It is understood supermarkets are engaged closely in the process to keep stock flowing. And Bunnings will launch a new and expanded pets office next month that will see the biggest single category expansion by the hardware retailer in two decades as it makes a play for the fast-growing pet care and product sector that's worth as much as $10 billion. The hardware giant has begun fitting out its national network of stores to carry a much stronger and hugely expanded pets range, which will take up a large space within the traditional budding store and be rolled out through most of its operations by the end of March. Its push into pet care goods, from cages and enclosures to rugs and pet food, will cash in on soaring pet ownership levels in Australia since COVID-19 lockdowns, with pet owners increasingly spending more money on their animal companions to make them more often the most spoiled members of the family. And Qantas has appointed former Air New Zealand executive Cam Wallace to lead its international business, creating a three-way race to replace Chief Executive Alan Joyce after his expected retirement later this year. Mr Wallace resigned from Air New Zealand when, where he was Chief Commercial and Customer Officer in 2020 to become the Chief Executive of MediaWorks, the owner of a network of commercial radio stations. Senior Qantas figures expect he will be a candidate to replace Mr Joyce later this year putting him in competition with Qantas Loyalty Chief Executive Olivia Worth and the airline's Chief Financial Officer, Vanessa Hudson. Mr Wallace will take over from Qantas International and Freight's Andrew David on July the 1st. And the Australian Signals Directorate could be given authority to directly commandeer the IT systems of almost every company in the country that suffers a cyber attack under reforms proposed after the Optus and Medibank hacks. This will see Anthony Albanese setting up a new agency to lead Australia's fight against mass cyber attacks by state-sponsored hackers and criminal gangs under a seven-year strategy to strengthen defences and end blame-shifting inside government and across the private sector. 
Prime Minister Anthony Albanese will also announce at an industry roundtable on Monday the creation of a federal coordinator for cybersecurity, backed by a national office for cybersecurity within the Home Affairs Department. The overhaul of Scott Morrison's $1.7 billion 10-year national cybersecurity strategy comes amid fears Australia's legislative, government and private sector cyber defences are not keeping pace with fast-moving technological and geostrategic threats. The appointment of a new coordinator for cybersecurity, who will lead the National Office of Cybersecurity within the Department of Home Affairs, follows Joe Biden's establishment of a US Office of the National Cyber Director in 2021. The proposal for a controversial and dramatic potential expansion in the agency's stepping powers comes from an expert group established by Labor after the high-profile hacks last year. The move to sharpen bureaucratic management and the possible expansion in security agency powers in the face of attacks on companies follows frustration within the Labor government since the damaging attacks. Home Affairs and Cybersecurity Minister Claire O'Neill in October described current laws as bloody useless in dealing with the Optus breach of 9.8 million customers by an anonymous hacker. She subsequently tapped former Telstra boss Andy Penn alongside former Air Force Chief Mel Hutfield and Head of the Cybersecurity Cooperative Research Centre Rachel Falk to come up with potential solutions. And profit margins for Australia's Australian companies are starting to come under pressure as central banks become more hawkish in their attempts to curb persistent inflation, according to Goldman Sachs. The investment bank said while the ASX 200 has notched up 12% earnings growth in the half-year reporting season, companies reported more misses than usual, with 49% reporting lower-than-expected margins. Soaring input costs are beginning to peak as pandemic fuel supply chain crunches ease and commodity prices fall. But wages remain high amid an ongoing labour shortage, hindering the ability of some companies to undertake projects, particularly in the mining and construction sectors, Goldman Sachs analyst Matthew Ross said. And department store Meyer Holdings is due to report its half-year results next week, and major shareholder Solomon Liu's premier investment has upped its stake just in time. He's made it difficult for any rival suitor to step in, with his retail powerhouse buying another 3% stake in his long-held target, boosting his stake to nearly 26% up from 22.87%. Mr. Blue's Premier is allowed to creep by buying up to, th- up to 3% of the target's shares every six months. And Australia's love affair with rooftop solar has unseated all other forms of generation, paving the way for solar to become the nation's largest power source when Liddell goes offline next month. Households have taken up rooftop solar at a rising rate since 2008, as panels became cheaper and governments rolled out subsidies to curb electricity bills and cut the reliance on coal generation in the power grid. Installed rooftop capacity cruised past 3.4 million homes and businesses in February, with users seeking relief from the East Coast electricity market crunch driven by the global energy crisis. The new analysis by solar industry consultancy Sunwiz shows that 20 gigawatts, that's 20,000 megawatts in the market is set to overtake coal generation capacity in April when AGL's ageing coal-fired power station, Liddell, permanently shuts down its turbines. And the profit reporting season continues. Woodside's core net profit, the figure most closely watched by the market, jumped to US $5.23 billion in the year ended December 31, up 223% from 2021, but shy of the market consensus. Bottom line profit rose 228% to US $6.5 billion on sales that increased 142% to US $16.8 billion. Furniture giant Harvey Norman said its profit before tax slipped 11.7% to US 
to 530.7 million for the six months to December 31. Biotechnology company Mesoblast reported its revenue at US $3.6 billion, that's 5.6 million Aussie, and 39.2% decline in its half-year result. It reported a net loss of US $41.4 million, a 14.9% improvement compared to the prior corresponding period. Payments company Tyro has reported statutory profit for the first time since 2015, delivering a 106% increase in its interim profit to $1.1 million. Data center business NextDC has swung to a net loss of $2.8 million for the six months to December 31, versus a profit of $10.2 million in the prior corresponding six-month period. Bookmaker PointsBet has seen its interim statutory loss deepen 22% to $178.2 million. Normalised losses fell to $163 million. Buy now, pay later, Junior Cecil has trimmed its net loss to US $39.3 million on revenue that climbed 9.4% to US $125.6 million for the year to December 31. Cognitive therapy business Cogsgate has posted an operating cash loss of US $200,000 as sales fell to US $19.5 million, that's $28.9 million, for the six months ended December 31. Drone Shield reported an after-tax loss of $949,000, down 82% from the losses posted in 2021. Downer reported $68.1 million profit, a 20.3% fall on that of the, of the prior comparable period. Kogan reported a statutory loss after tax of $23.8 million and an adjusted loss after tax of $9.6 million. TPG Telecom reported $2.1 billion of earnings before tax depreciation amortisation, 23.6% increase. Ticket data earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortisation, or EBITDA, is up 9.4% to $129.8 million. Linus Rare Earth's earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortisation, and EBITDA, were flat at $189 million. Adore Beauty posted a $90,000 loss, down 105% from from the $1.97 million profit in the first half of 2022, and detailed $93.6 million of revenue, down 17% on that of the prior comparable period. City Chic Collective posted a $3.4 million loss and a statutory net loss after tax of $27.2 million. Aussie Broadband posted an $8.6 million net profit after tax, a 516% jump on that of the prior comparable period. Premium reported a 17% increase in revenue to $35.4 million and a 52% jump in EBITDA to $11.4 million. Appen reported an underlying net loss after tax of US $22.8 million. Cromwell Property Group posted a half-year loss after tax of US $129.5 million versus a profit of $132.5 million. Pathology and medical imaging company Helios suffered a statutory net loss of $28.7 million in the six months ended December 31, compared with a $233.2 million net profit in the year earlier period. Interim underlying profit fell to $8.1 million from a year earlier of $244 million. Adbry on Tuesday reported a 12.1% decline in net profit for the 12 months of December, dropping to $102.6 million. Strangling retailer Booktopia posted a $3.9 million loss. Cooper Energy's interim after-tax loss was $6.3 million. Liberty Financial Group's financial assets increased by 6% to $13.2 billion, and its statutory impact fell to $104 million as a result of not passing all costs of funding increases to customers. The group's underlying impact, meanwhile, was at $104.8 million after removing non-recurring items 
Invocare posted a 12% increase in revenue, but a loss of $1.8 million. Yankos' profit after tax was $3.59 billion for the year ended December 31, 2022, a fivefold increase from the $791 million a year earlier. Stanmore said net profits for the year ended December 31 totaled US $727 million. That's Aussie $1.08 billion, up from just US $7 million reported by the mining company a year earlier. Medical company NovaEye reported its half-year loss had widened 115% to $6.6 million. Software company Lamede reported a profit loss of $13.2 million, a 33% increase in its full-year financial results. Online retailer Harris Technology reported a profit loss at $2 million, a 632% increase in its half-year results. And that's it for this week. And next week, I'll be talking to Andy Squires, the CEO of Securely, the app that provides tradies and subcontractors with a payment platform. And I'll be talking to economist Nicholas Green about how the RBA could control inflation without rate rises. This show is brought to you by multi-award winning law firm McDonald Legal, experts in the areas of dispute resolution and commercial and property law. For a free consultation on your legal matter, McDonald Legal can be reached on 03 9070-1107 or by visiting the website www.donaldlegal.com.au In the meantime, you catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business on the Apple Podcast Store or on my website, leongetler.com. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 